0: Well, good morning. Welcome again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. Um, as Scott mentioned, uh, David Calvert, our worship leader, in case you're brand new and you didn't make it in right at the first, uh, and his wife, Sarah. We're blessed with a baby boy, Jesse, this week. He has some gastrointestinal problems that should be correctable by surgery, but it's going to be a long process, so... We just want to be in prayer for them. Thomas, our uh, keyboard and vocalist this morning, um, lost his grandmother yesterday. Uh, one of Thomas Ray's former students, Amber Oliver, is that correct? Her mom is in a coma at Duke, a relatively young woman. Uh, just a lot of uh, pain, but <clears throat> it's a good time to be talking about the design that God has created for us who follow Jesus Christ to find our place in His family. Immediately after the service this morning... um, we're going to set up this room for a Discovery Lunch. As, as has already been mentioned, the Discovery Lunch is designed for those of you who are relatively new at Grace, and that may be the last couple of weeks, or it may be three or four months. You don't know very many people at Grace. Well, here's an opportunity to meet the elders, the home group leaders, their families, to think about connecting with a, a, a home fellowship, and um, then also considering whether or not you want to be a part of our Grace Connection class, which begins next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. So hang around, students. You're welcome. If you want to get to know a little bit more about us, we're having pizza. So this may be a day where you get two, two times to get pizza because of Super Bowl uh, parties that you'll be going to tonight. So... Come to the Discovery Lunch. And then also, let me encourage you to sign up for Grace Connection class. As Lee mentioned just a few minutes ago, if you've never done that before, uh, we have a sign-up sheet in the lobby by the information booth. Um, the, the four-week class, uh, which begins next Sunday morning at 9, is designed to inform those who attend about our church, what we believe, how we function. Look, Elder Rule is new for some of you. Many of you grew up in Baptist churches or more liturgical churches uh, where there's a bishop, that kind of a thing. What is the Elder Rule all about? Well, come to the the class and and check it out. By the way, there will be child care if you need it. We just need to know if you're going to need child care, and we can arrange it for you. If you want um, a little bit of advanced information about the church and you've only been coming for a bit, then check out our website. If you look at our doctrinal statement, you'll see what we believe, look at the core values, you'll get a sense of our, our church personality. Uh, by the way, just so you'll know, we're going to be launching a new website in the next week or two. You'll hear about it uh, more next Sunday morning during our prayer time. Uh, right now, most of the people who come into Grace are coming as a result of having gone online. And found us. We'll talk about the benefits and and then some of the challenges with that being the case, that most of the folks are finding us online. If you take the time online to read our quite thorough constitution and bylaws, bylaws, you're gonna recognize very quickly that Grace Community Church, as closely as possible, is founded on Scripture. It's built on the truth of Scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together in a dwelling place, or into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, what do you see right off the bat in this text? How are we referred to as followers of Jesus? What is it saying about us? Well, first of all, we're, we're not aliens. We're not strangers. We are citizens in the kingdom of God. Not too long ago, my lovely wife, Allison, became a citizen of these United States of America. She's also a citizen of Australia. Had to make sure about that or she wouldn't join up with us. Not sure why, but anyway. She's a citizen of this country and traveled Uh, to her mom's funeral on the American passport this past time. She's now, she gets to get in the good line, you know, coming coming home. The bad line going over. So, we are citizens of a kingdom of God, but we're also family in the household of God. We are family with one another. And the household of God. We're also a building. A temple that grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Jesus is the cornerstone. And all of the buildings are tied to one another. And we're tied to him as well in that foundation. The temple, of course, in the old days being the model for our church. Temple slash synagogue being the model for the New Testament church. So, you'll see... you see here that the church is based on the foundation of the teaching of the apostles and prophets. That's what he's talking about. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and what they taught about Jesus, how they understood the Old Testament pointing to Jesus led by the Holy Spirit, what they wrote. That's what we're built on. That's the foundation. In fact, text that I quoted last week 1 Corinthians 3 11 to 15 the judgment seat of Christ you've always heard it preached as this is when we stand before the Lord and our works are there before God and he burns up the bad stuff and and the good stuff remains it's true it's about our individual you can apply it that way but first and foremost it's about the truth of the gospel that's being built into the church so everything That we do, we try to base on the foundation of Scripture. That's why our doctrinal statement is a summary of our beliefs about what Scripture teaches. Uh, It's our desire that Grace Community Church adhere as closely to the biblical mandate for church structure and church life as is absolutely possible. So, welcome to the perfect church. If you come to grace now, you have you found it. I don't know what you think so funny about that. <laughs> the church has never been perfect. Listen, one of the reasons we're so readily convicted by the by the teachings of scripture uh, such as, consider others more important than yourselves. Forgive those who have hurt you. Rejoice, rejoice in suffering. Quit acting like a heathen. You belong to Jesus. Why are you acting the way you used to? You're not, that's not your identity anymore. Quit that. The reason we so readily identify and we're so easily, com- quickly convicted is because the more things change, the more they stay the same. These are the very problems the first century was dealing with. And so the writers of Scripture were hitting it, and it continues to hit us today. So, that begs the question, might we improve then the design of the first century church in order that we can be closer to what God desires? You know the answer to that. No, we can't improve on God's design. There's no problem with the design, the problem's with the people. They make up the church. God's design was perfect from the beginning. And you would expect that, wouldn't you? It's not like God is trying to get his act together. No matter what people may tell you, that's, well, you know the reason you've got all this suffering in the world, don't you? Because God wasn't aware of it, and he's sort of responding to evil in the world. Really? That's the kind of God you want to serve? Not me. He's smarter than I am. And so a lot of things don't make sense. But look, if he's responding to evil, it's taken him a long time to get his act together. It did in World War II and in communist Russia and in the Middle East. No. God's design was perfect from the beginning. The closer you follow his design for the church, the better chance you have of functioning well in the kingdom. So, after this introduction, it's not going to surprise you that we're going to be looking today at the design of the church. Today's message is actually more of an introduction to the series, A Place in the Family, than last week's was. And this week is actually only part one of a two-week introduction to this series as a whole. It's somewhat of an overview of where we're going, but there are going to be several areas of church life that won't be covered in these first two weeks that will be covered down the road, such as uh, old marriage and parenting, help with parenting, um, some other topics like children's ministry that we're going to cover through the, through the course of this series that aren't introduced in this text today but that listen I've, I've got it planned to say this a little bit later but let me go ahead and say this God's design in Acts chapter 2 was right from the beginning structure was added to that through the years throughout the first century as the writers of scripture were were addressing the various problems it, it doesn't take us any time in the book of Acts for people to say look our widows aren't being taken care of over in this corner and the Lord says, "Well, then, let's." The elders say, "We've got to keep doing what we're doing, spending time in the Word, praying. We've got to get some deacons to do that. Choose these guys. Let's get them going." So, structure is added all the way, and the pastoral epistles, which give us epistles, which give us even more structure to the way church is supposed to to be uh, functioning, are written near the end of the Apostle Paul's life. So, structure is added, but the design from the very beginning is the same order and design that we follow to this day. So, for now we're going to dive into our text Acts 2:36 to 47, but as is so often the case, before we read a little bit of context would help. Uh, Acts 2, of course, is the account of what's the one word account of Acts 2. Pentecost, Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down on these 120 followers of Christ. Now, here's, the, here's what's happened with these 120 followers. They've, they've gathered in an upper room after Jesus ascended. Jesus made appearances to the disciples off and on for 40 days after his resurrection. And during that time, he spent a great deal of time teaching his apostles, pointing Showing them how the Old Testament pointed to him. And then he ascended to heaven. These 120 sit in that upper room waiting for the Lord to lead them. Studying scripture together. And the Holy Spirit came on them on the day of Pentecost. The men and women upon whom the Spirit fell, preached the gospel to people from all over the Roman Empire in their different languages. They said, what is this? We hear the gospel. We hear these wonderful things in our own languages. These people don't know these languages. What's going on here? And they realized that the work of God was, was, was being fulfilled right before their eyes. And then Peter, impetuous, impetuous. Impulsive, doesn't know what he's saying, all over the map. Peter stands up and preaches an extremely thoughtful message based on Old Testament scripture that pointed to Christ. In the course of his sermon, Peter quoted Joel 2:32: Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know that in Romans, Romans 10, 10:13. 10, But it first was said in in Joel 2.32, and Peter brings that into his message. We're going to pick up today with the absolute last sentence of Peter's sermon found in verse 36. Just for the sake of time, we're not going to read that entire sermon, but it would be a great thing for you to go back this afternoon and just read Peter's sermon in Acts 2 and see how much of the Old Testament scriptures are brought into focus when, when the light of Jesus shines on them. So, Acts 2, verses 36 to 47, would you please stand as we read Scripture together? <clears throat> Which means, that's a royal we, by the way, I'll be reading. <laughs> Again, starting with timid, fearful... Peter, not timid, but fearful many times, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, And distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number. Day by day. Those who were being saved. Father. As Matt has already prayed today. We're so grateful. For those who have believed for a long time and those who are just now beginning to believe. Time and again, Lord, we have seen you add to our numbers here at Grace through a slow, steady process. On this day of Pentecost, it happened all at once. It happens in so many different ways, but it's always the same. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father, Open our hearts and our minds. Open our ears to the word. Help us to see the things that you want us to see. And cause us to respond. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Well this morning we're going to consider two of the first two of five principles that we're going to take from this text. Look there are a lot more principles that we could take, but again, sort of in a general overview of the text and of where we're going in this series. Uh, Pentecost was, of course, the day that the Holy Spirit came to indwell the believer. Somewhere in that upper room, uh, Olive Garden, not Olivet, but Olive Garden discourse between John 13 and, and 16, Jesus talking about the Spirit, I don't know exactly where it is, said... The Spirit is with you and shall be in you. It's a big difference in the way that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, operated in the Old Testament than the way He operates today. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came upon people for certain periods of time. And then He would go. He would come and go. In the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, He is there forever. And that began at Pentecost. That's why David... Um, King David said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. A Christian wouldn't pray that prayer because the Holy Spirit, once He indwells us, is always with us. And it began at Pentecost. This was the day that the church began. Now, God has always had a covenant people for Himself. But on this day, God began to do a new thing through the church. Before we look at these principles, it's important to, important to acknowledge, as I've already stated, that structure was added to the church over the years. So this design was the one we use today, but then the structure sort of happens through the years. And, and, and in, the, in the same way, our church is always growing, not in a biblical sense, but we're always trying to do things better than we did them in the past. And that's what was going on. In the first century, I want to encourage you to uh, keep your Bible open to Acts 2. Again, we're going to only cover two of the five principles found in this text, but I want us to go ahead and look at all five of them uh, to begin with so you can see where we're going. You're not going to have time to write, so just, just try to absorb these. First, the church began and is sustained through the preaching of the word, particularly the preaching of the cross of Christ. Appropriate that we sang so much about the cross this morning. So we'll be thinking about that. Two, response to the word provides entrance into God's family and builds life into the believer. You know what I mean by that. Look, if you're alive, you're alive. But have you ever said, I've never felt more alive in my life. Look, the more we're in the word, the more alive we become. To God and His Spirit and everything He wants to do for and through us. Three, church family is designed to provide spiritual, emotional, and material security for its members. We're called to take care of each other. Now, next Sunday morning, uh, Chad Moody is going to share. Look, we, we've got all of these things that have been going on. In our Every Sunday, it seems like we can say, Thomas Ferguson. Just lost his, his grandmother yesterday. And David and Sarah's little babies got problems. And, and while correctable surgically, still our hearts, you know what it's like for them. In agony, they said, plan to be at the hospital four to six weeks. Uh, Chad and Sarah have been dealing with this for a long time. Eight years? Eight years. And we're going to just hear from a part of our family that, you know, we're we're with them, but still we get focused on things, and it's good to just remember where we are. We're designed to take care of one another. We do have a significant problem. Uh, Chad's got about 15 minutes next week. He thinks he's got an hour. And so... Uh, You know, this could be an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. And look, I do not want to hear from the rest of you saying, yeah, give him the whole hour, okay? Fourth, every family member is showered with benefits and gladly assumes family responsibilities. Every family member. Five, God's design for the family is to grow and therefore for existing members to make room for those he adds. Yeah, bring it on. Except don't do anything with our home group. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're so close and, you know, we know we can't get much bigger, but. Uh... And it's true. And, and nobody's trying to bust up your home group, believe me. But we need God to put it on the hearts of people to say, yeah, let me, let me go. I, I want to start a new group because we've, God is doing so many good things. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to all that next week. Back to the first part of the design. One, the church began and is sustained by the preaching of the word, particularly the preaching of the cross. Pentecost came just, two, just under two months after Jesus was betrayed. Crucified, buried, and resurrected. To give perspective to this event, some 50 days after Peter denied knowing Jesus, three times in the courtyard of the chief priest, he ends his sermon in front of thousands of Jews who had gathered at the temple, most likely, almost certainly, with these words, let all the house of Israel, therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified with wicked hands. He said earlier that's those are bold words that 's bold preaching by Peter. Now look, Peter went out years later up in Antioch when the, when the Judaizers came, when the legalizers came. Peter sort of stepped in. Paul had to call him to count on it. But here, Peter is preaching with boldness. One of the remarkable things, I've already touched on this, but to think about it a little deeper, uh, one of the remarkable things about Peter's message is the depth of understanding he displays of the Old Testament Scriptures that he's developed through these years. Uh, Primarily, I'm sure, the result of of his time with Jesus between his resurrection and ascension. But, but Peter's sermon also points very clearly to the fact of careful study. It bore the mark of careful study. Even though the Holy Spirit clearly orchestrated the events of the day, Peter didn't speak in a trance. Some people would say, you're not preaching unless you're doing it as the Lord leads you while you're up there. None of the writers of Scripture wrote in a trance. I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if, as Paul was dictating, he said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's say it this way. It was thoughtful. It was careful. Just like God says, let there be and there was, and he says, let the earth sprout He uses processes, and inspiration is one of those processes in which the the personality of the writer as well as the clear mark of the Holy Spirit both are on the letters that were being written. So, Peter's knowledge of Scripture was evident. When we read earlier from Ephesians 2 that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone the point is that the church is built on the teachings of the apostle and the apostles in the first century prophets in fact one of the tests that determined whether or not a book was worthy of even, even being considered for a place in the new testament canon was it an apostle who was written what was the person's connection to Jesus if it's an apostle he's clearly connected to Jesus if he's not an apostle what was his connection with Jesus or what was and is his connection with an apostle? So you had to meet very high standards to be considered having one of your letters to make it to the New Testament. And I, I'm not sure whether those guys sensed that they were writing or not. You know, Peter says, points to the writings of Paul and says they're scriptures. So there had to be at least some sense, and very quickly the church just got it. They got from the Holy Spirit. This clearly is from God. And and the church as a whole agreed on this. Letters circulated, and they said, this is what we need to be listening to. That's where the church was established. In 1 Corinthians 1... 21 to 24, we read this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and utter ridiculousness. To Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles alike said, this is the most ridiculous thing anybody's ever said. God came to earth as a human and died. He didn't come to set things straight. He came to earth and died. Verse 24 says, but to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You will never get there trying to figure it out and, and, and making it make sense in your mind enough so that you can believe. But I can promise you this, when you believe in Jesus, when you believe that God hung him on a cross to die for our sins, it will make sense. It will make more and more sense. And one day you'll say, this is brilliant beyond comprehension. When I compare this with all the religions of the world, This makes so much sense. And then, of course, you're going to be tempted to say, how can you not see it? Because their eyes are blinded. And until the Lord opens their eyes, until the Lord calls them to himself. And you know what? He uses us in all of that process to get out and share Jesus. God is especially committed to using the preaching of the word. To get his message across. There's a lot more in 1 Corinthians 1 about the preaching of the cross, but consider these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his young charge in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 4, written just in the weeks or months before uh, he was executed. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. By the way, do you know where Timothy was the teaching elder when this was written to him? Ephesus, probably the most well-established church in all the kingdom at that point. And Paul was saying, preach the word, give it all out. And then he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Any of that preaching going on today on television? On Sunday mornings. I mentioned earlier that our church constitution makes it clear that we stay. We are seeking to stay as close to biblical teaching as we are able to discern truth. Prayerfully led by the Holy Spirit who's the author of scripture begin with. Paul's charge to Timothy is not only to avoid heresy in his own preaching, to make sure it doesn't take root anywhere in the church. I think you'll understand when I say this is a little bit of an awkward thing for any pastor, a bit of an awkward claim for any pastor to make. But everything at our church begins with the study of the Word, particularly the preaching of the Word on Sunday morning. The Constitution is based on Scripture, and Scripture tells us, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So does that make whoever stands up here on Sunday morning, particularly the teaching elder, because he's the one who stands most Sunday mornings, does that make him the final authority uh, uh, on Scripture? Absolutely not. To whom am I accountable? To the elders. There are seven elders or pastors at Grace, along with two full-time staff members who function very much like pastors. And all of them hold my feet to the fire. I promise you, if I say something that is not right, they're going to say, we need to talk about this. I need to know what you meant when you said that. Because that doesn't sound right. And then I'm very likely to make a correction. Or they're likely to throw me out sooner or later. You know, if that's the case. Um, Actually, yesterday morning we had eight pastors. But Drew and Jenny Peterson have moved to Wilmington. And they're going to continue to be our hearts. And our hearts and a part of our family. Always will be. But they also need to bless another church family with their lives and their spiritual gifts. So today we have seven pastors and that doesn't mean that we agree 100 percent on everything that you can come to in scripture i mean look there are lots of things that are that are really important in scripture and we agree 100 percent on all of those there are other things are that are not as big a deal you know it's the old we'll talk about this in the grace connection class there are some things we hold with the closed fist you absolutely we you can't disagree on this and and be an integral part of this family. You can come and attend, that's fine, but as far as being a member, you got to say, you know, we agree on the important stuff, and there are a lot of things that are not as important, and, and we have sort of an open hand policy on those. We have particular policies for our church, but we're not going to say, if you disagree with this, you're a heretic. If you disagree with some of these, we're going to say, you know, we got a real problem, and we need you to think long and hard about your understanding of scripture because eternal life depends on what you believe about scripture not only is it important for the elders it is it is your responsibility to make sure that I'm preaching the truth talk about that in these next 2 weeks in home group The people at Berea were considered noble because they searched the Scriptures to see if the things that the apostles were saying was true. Look, if you've got a problem with something that I preach, please come to me. I'll be happy to discuss it with you. And if you still are unsettled after that, then we'll go before the elders. The thing you absolutely are encouraged not to do it's to start a campaign saying, I disagree with him or I disagree with any of the elders or I disagree with this and that. Can't do it. We can't have that kind of decision. If indeed this is the most important, the truth, the proclamation of the truth at grace in our belief system is the most important thing about who we are then we can't afford that kind of dissension because that cuts at the foundation. It's like taking a sledgehammer to the foundation and hitting it. When you think of the Apostle Paul, how do you imagine him? Gentle and kind or high-spirited and very direct? Probably you think of him as the latter. He could be that way, but... Far more often than you think, most likely than you think, he was quite the encourager and often exhibited a tender spirit in his writing. When the truth of the gospel was challenged, though, and that meant also when, when people challenged his authority as an apostle, then the truth of the gospel was very much in play. When heresy was trying to make inroads in the church, Paul was adamant that doctrinal error must be opposed. And he often did so with the strongest of terms. I don't know what it is you like most here at Grace. But let me just at least put it this way. If the preaching isn't right, then nothing else is going to be right. And if the preaching is wrong, it doesn't have to be really wrong. Look, if, if we're running a marathon, and I'm a way better runner than you. This is obviously a fantasy kind of a analogy. But I'm a way better runner than you, and, and I start off just slightly off course. Guess who's going to win? Who's going to get to that finish line if you're, if you're going straight? You are. It doesn't take a serious deviation to find yourself in big trouble down the road. And when somebody says, I'm sorry, this is a problem, you say, really? We're like inches apart. Our our track is inches apart and you're telling me this is trouble? It may not feel like it there. It's going to feel a lot more like it when it's down there. So if the preaching is not right, nothing is right. Listen, if you're new here and trying to discern whether this is the church that God wants you to, where God wants you to be and serve, I want the right place for you as badly as you do, whether it's here or somewhere else. I implore you, though, based on the truth of Scripture, wherever you go, make sure that the proclamation of the truth is central in the church that you attend. I know that worship... Style is important. I know that preaching style, for goodness sake, is important. Maybe you don't like somebody who does all of this. That's okay. But make sure it's the truth that is being proclaimed. And if a guy is up here kind of like this, don't be going away critical if he's preaching the truth. Just because his style is not what you want? Every indication was that Paul wasn't a fantastic speaker. Apollos was a whale of a lot better than Paul. But the proclamation of the truth is first and foremost. And you know what? That flows into everything. Into the fellowship and the way that we take care of one another. And can you have all of that other stuff without truth? Yeah, But sooner or later it dies. Because life resides where the word is believed and proclaimed. (sighs) Nothing is more important to our elders to make sure that what is said on Sunday morning. And a lot of people since I've been here, a lot of the elders Sean, so many others have preached from this pulpit. And and it is crucial that the right, that the truth be proclaimed. The right understanding of Scripture be proclaimed. Not only here, but all throughout the ministries of our church. More than anything else. When I first came to Grace, someone said, What do you think is a bigger responsibility? The preaching or the visiting? I said, Preaching. And this person said, I don't think I agree. I think, you know, I think the visiting is more important. Folks, it's not. There is so much in Scripture that will support the point that I'm making. You won't believe it when you start looking. Just look up preach or preached in a concordance and look at those verses. Look at how important it is. I won't go any further here except to say, again, commitment of the truth to Scripture, particularly with the preaching, is the most important thing that occurs here at Grace. Always has been, always will be, God willing, long after I and the rest of the elders are gone. But is correct preaching enough? Doesn't mean much without the second dynamic in the early church that we want to cover this morning. Response to the word provides entrance into God's family and builds life into the believer. You know, every story I have ever heard about someone having a vision that the Lord clearly gives, and I do believe that happens, especially in places where the word is not prevalent. But every story I have ever heard always something like this. The Lord came to me in a dream and he said, go to a coffee shop and a man with a plaid shirt will be there. That's J.D. Greer, of course. I stood on the highest tree and I said, if you were there, great spirit, show yourself. And two weeks later, you come. I hear this story a lot. And you know what's, you know what's interesting? What I've never heard, maybe you have, I've never heard this. I've never heard someone say, when a missionary comes in, they say, Here's what you've got to believe. And they say, oh yes, that all of that was revealed to me. Essentially what was revealed was that someone will come and bring the word. And when you hear the word, believe it. And of course, if you'd had that kind of vision and then that person comes just like it was revealed to you, of course you're going to believe that. Well, I, I hope you are. The wording In our text is quite interesting. It clearly states that God is the one who draws us to himself. It also teaches us that it is not enough to hear and know the truth. But we must respond to the truth that is presented. When we repent of our sins and believe that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, died for our sins. We will be saved and we will be baptized in response to the Lord's command. It just follows. It follows that you will be committed to a family somewhere. It bothers me when people leave our church and they don't go anywhere else. That's troubling. If you leave for whatever reason, okay. Go to a Bible-believing church and get involved in a family. It just follows. It's how we are. Are you going to mess up every day of your life you're going to mess up? Is that reason to stay away? No. Be committed. Baptism is like that. Being in church is like that. And as we grow, we will immerse ourselves in Scripture, which in turn will cause us to give ourselves freely in the service of others. Where the Word of God has free reign, there is life. Not only eternal life through faith in Christ, but the abundant life that Jesus promised for all who follow him. In just a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table to share communion. Where we'll not only remember the Lord's death and and look forward to his second coming. But according to 1 Corinthians 10, we will participate in the body and blood of Christ. We will fellowship at a high level. With Jesus and with one another. Communion is of itself a response to the word. The liturgy through all of church history is this. Word response. Word response. And as we come to this table, we are responding to the word. I wonder if it's in the original design of uh, those earliest days, earliest of days. Let's see as we close our time before we gather at the Lord's table by reading this text one more time. Look for the truth of these um, first two points. I don't think you'll have trouble finding them. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That's a good response, isn't it? It was, it was hard preaching. Look, I, I prefer the encouraging kind of preaching. And the gospel is very encouraging, but the gospel starts with acknowledging who you are, acknowledging what you've done. And then we get to the good news. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, look, belief is not mentioned here, but the whole sermon is about believing. In Acts 16, 31, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Repentance and belief must go together. And the early church knew nothing about a statement of belief without baptism. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added about that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Breaking of bread almost certainly refers at least to the Lord's Supper, most likely strictly to the Lord's Supper in this instance, though later you're going to see where they have meals together in homes. But um, the early church... Probably this larger group gathered early in the temple. Now, the Jews, the Jewish leaders opposed them very quickly, and so they started meeting more uh, privately than that big public meeting. But initially, they would all come together, and certainly in their times together would share communion. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Again, my understanding of this is that the the, the signs and wonders of the apostles were to authenticate the message. You think about miracles all the way through Scripture. There were really just certain periods of time, like with Moses and in the wilderness, in in Egypt and in the wilderness. Then uh, uh, later in the times of Elijah and then... In the time of Christ and in the, in, in the time of apostles. And then 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings. And distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We'll talk about that next week. And day by day attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. I don't imagine many of you home groups. Uh, share communion in your group but you're welcome to the elders are okay with that we're fine with that very likely it was shared in the homes but it was shared in the context of a greater meal too there was there's just something about eating together isn't there that 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 binds our hearts together and when it's around the lord uh, it's just mighty sweet uh, so they Breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, God's design, perfect from the beginning. On the first Sunday of every month, we... Come together at the Lord's table. We gather at the Lord's table. So I'm going to ask the elders and the uh, worship team if they would come forward. We're going to serve. These guys are going to be served first. And then we'll ask you to come forward. We'll have four stations in the front. Uh, If you are a believer in Jesus Christ or if you want this day to proclaim your your faith in Christ, confess your...
1: My name is Bert Wallace. I'm one of the elders here. And before I give us a benediction, I just want to remind you about the uh, Discovery Luncheon today. If you're uh, relatively new, whatever that means to you, uh, to our church body, please feel free to join us whether or not you uh, had planned on it, had said you were going to, you're more than welcome to stay and and join us uh, immediately after the service. Now let me give you the benediction. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that all the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This week I would pray that you would go in that knowledge, love each other, and love the Lord.